When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. So let's talk about what strategies and approaches we as teachers or parents or clinicians can pull from the business world and apply to the education world. Now that sentence might surprise you, but in the last few years, I've had to put more of a business owner hat on and I wanted to learn more about running a business. As I started growing the Autism Helper, I had to learn more about marketing and creating business plans and managing people and time management. And I started consuming a lot of business-related content, reading books and listening to podcasts because I wanted to get better in this area. And by the way, all of my close friends would find this absolutely hilarious because after I graduated college and a lot of my friends worked in the business world, I would always say that I had no idea what they did. And I basically thought there were four jobs in the world, teachers, hospital workers, like doctors and nurses, lawyers, and business people. That was it. That was all. Maybe we could throw firefighters and police officers in there. But all of business kind of fell under one massive category in my head of having no idea what was going on there. So as I started, you know, getting further along in my own business and realizing how little I knew, I started trying to learn a lot more. And as I started reading books and consuming content, a lot of the strategies and approaches that I learned about, I realized could be applied so effectively in a classroom and in a school. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying a classroom or a school should be run like a business. 
I absolutely don't think that. But I think that there's a lot of successful strategies related to time management and productivity and efficiency that we can pull from and borrow and apply to our own classrooms. So like I said, Classrooms can't be run as a business because education isn't the same as a profit. And test scores, I'm sure we all can agree, shouldn't drive what constitutes success for you as a teacher or your students as individuals that are learning. I'm going to link in the show notes an interesting Washington Post article that's a few years old, but they shared this really cool anecdote that I think, of course, really highlights why schools can't be run as a business. So the story they shared was called the Blueberry Story, and it was from the perspective of this you know, very well-known, successful CEO who had run an ice cream company. And I'm not sure of the context, but for some reason, he was giving a professional development at a school. And he started his session by saying, you know, if I ran my business like you guys were running a school, I would have no company left because there are all of these things you do are doing wrong. And everyone in the audience was, of course, getting mad because they're like, who is this guy? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He, our school cannot be run the same way as his ice cream business. So finally, someone stands up, a teacher stands up and says, okay, so tell, you know, you have really well-known, you know, popular ice cream. And he was like, yep, we're the best selling in the country. And she was like, great. And, you know, you have high quality ingredients. He's like, of course, our blueberry ice cream is the best selling, you know, in the world or whatever. And she was like, okay, well, when you get blueberries in, if you have a crate of just bad blueberries, they aren't good. What do you do with them? And he's like, well, we get rid of them. We only use the best quality ingredients. She's like, well, right there, that's going to be your difference between a school and a business. At a school, we accept all blueberries, poor, rich, speaking English, not speaking English. If they have a disability, if they have a strong family, if they don't have family involvement, we accept everyone. That's what a school is. We're going to include everyone and teach everyone at their level. So we don't have, you know, quote unquote, perfect raw materials like you would in a business that creates a product. So you can't view it the same way. So I'm not saying we're going to run our classrooms like businesses because they're not businesses. But what a really great business is good at, they are good at being efficient. They are good at managing their team and setting up processes for management. And they are good at being productive. So producing something. So today I'm going to go over a list of popular business-oriented strategies and approaches that we can augment a little bit and apply to our classrooms to create a better environment for everyone involved. Number one, eat the frog. If you've been following my Insta Story weekly challenges, you have heard me talk about this. I think this was like the second or third week challenge because I love this approach. You can apply this to your personal life, your work life. I think this is just a great way to kind of view your to-do list and productivity and things you got to get done. So the Mark Twain quote here is, if it's your job to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. And if it's your job to eat two frogs, it's best to eat the biggest one first. So what the idea that's been pulled from this Mark Twain quote is that you got to get the worst thing over with because when you have it hanging over your head of, oh man, I've got this whole IEP to write. I'm just going to keep pushing it off. I'm going to keep doing all the little things on my to-do list first. 
That's what we do, right? When you have a big to-do list of stuff, you go through and do all those easy little things because in the moment, it's very satisfying to see the to-do list go down. I totally get it. Do that all the time. But in reality, you want to get get rid of the frog first. You want to get the worst, the longest, the hardest, most complex thing done as soon as you can. So the one thing that really pops in my head related to a classroom here is the way that I structured my classroom day in relation to minutes of academic instruction and the time of day. This is my complete opinion. This is not evidence-based, but I loved doing my big kind of main academics first thing in the morning. And they didn't have to be like right when we walked in because maybe we had a special first or we did circle time or morning meeting. But the chunk of academics and IEP minutes, like the bulky ones, the math, the language arts, et cetera, get those done first. Get those done in the morning. Those are your frog, right? Those are the things that you gotta get done today. And I really loved getting those done in the morning because let's be real, once recess and lunch comes and goes, everyone is just over it, right? By like one o'clock, who wants to like crack open a math book and do like long division? No. Save the afternoon for your independent work, your social skills, your generalization, maybe more hands-on things, science and social studies. But get the frog, the big meat and potatoes academics done in the morning. You can also apply this to kind of your to-do list. So when you have, you know, those afternoons we all have to get all our crap done. Yeah, right. But if you have, you know, I'm going to stay late at work today. You know, my my kids are with the nanny or daycare and I have some extra time after school, after the kids leave to get some stuff done. You have an hour and a half. Do the behavior plan first. Do your data analysis first. Do your report cards first. Do the big thing first and get it out of the way. Because once you get that done, first of all, you're going to be really proud of yourself. Those little things don't even seem that bad. So you'll be able to power through the little things a lot quicker knowing the frog is over with. Number two, the 80-20 principle. So the 80-20 principle says that 20% of your activities will drive 80% of your results. So that means that the things that you're doing, the actions, the behaviors, 20% of those are gonna get you 80% of your results. So the reverse is that 80% of your behaviors, so the big majority of the things you do on a daily basis, are actually only generating 20% of your results. So if you think about it, that means you're spending a lot of your day doing things that actually aren't that productive. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So there's a few ways we can apply this to our classrooms and kind of to our lives at viewing productivity and what things we engage in. So first, let's look at the 20% of your activities that are bringing the most value. These actions and these behaviors, you're actually not doing them the most, but they're the most productive. So what I encourage you to do is to look at your times of day that are the most successful. And what I tell teachers a lot is when you look at the times of your day and you figure out what's going well, do that more. Repeat that. Do more of that. We want to do more of that 20%. Whatever's in that 20%, we need to keep doing more and more of it. So if morning circle time goes really well, you get great learning, your staff is on point, your kids are engaged, do afternoon circle time. If your centers are really going well, do more centers. If the tiny bit of staff training you did in the start of the school year made a big impact, but it's kind of faded off now, well, you know the punchline, do more staff training. So figure out what are those actions that you've taken that have brought a lot of value to your class. And that value could be you know, engagement with students, student data. I mean, the fact that students are learning more. Behavior, positive behaviors are increasing. Negative behaviors are decreasing. So now let's switch gears. We looked at the 20% of our actions that are bringing a lot of value. Now let's look at the reverse. Let's look at the 80% of your actions that actually really aren't bringing that many results. So under this theory, 80% of the activities we do on a daily basis would only be bringing 20% of the results. And let's think about results as student learning, staff, you know, participation, and just general classroom positive morale. Everyone's happy, right? So real behavioral goals, but you know what I mean. So the 80%, this big chunk of things you're doing on a daily basis, maybe you're just bringing a tiny bit of value or maybe no value at all. Start identifying some of those time sucks because that's what they are. Look at those things that are bringing no value. And we could probably think about those right away. Things like, you know, venting to your staff, gossiping in the teacher's lounge, Those are bringing no value to your day. They're not increasing student learning and they're not giving you a break in a positive way. So I'm not saying that every single thing you have to do all day is all about learning, learning, education, education. You need breaks, of course, but those breaks should be restorative. They should let you come back to your job in a better positive headspace. So breaks that are, you know, chatting with a really positive coworker and hearing a funny story from her weekend or FaceTiming with your kids when you're, you know, their grandma's watching them or, you know, watching 10 minutes of a show on your, on your phone. I mean, God forbid, we'd never do that, right? But during lunch, it's okay to do a non-education related thing for a few minutes. Go on a quick walk around the block, run out and grab a cup of coffee. Those activities will are are going to bring value because you're going to come back from them renewed and refreshed and ready to take on the rest of your day. So identify those activities that aren't that, that are sucking your energy, that are bringing you to a higher emotional state or adding to your anger or stress load. You know, we take on other people's stress. So when you hear someone complain and complain about their day or their classroom, 
You start to take that on and it becomes harder then to attend to your own jobs because your stress is growing and growing and growing. So start to identify behaviors in both areas. So increase those behaviors that are bringing you a lot of value and results and then start getting rid of those behaviors and actions that are not adding to your life or your student's life in any positive way. Number three, delegate effectively. So I think this Dave Ramsey quote really highlights why we need to delegate and what the biggest obstacle for teachers especially is. So Dave Ramsey said, delegation requires the willingness to pay for short-term failure in order to gain long-term competency. And I think a lot of us can't get over the short-term failure. And what I mean by that is that when we're in the process of delegating, and training our staff to do something. It is going to take more time up front. It will take more time to train them how to do the center, to show them how to do an activity or to a prep material. It will take more time and there's a risk of failure. You might show your staff member how to use the laminator and they might do the whole activity and they might laminate that whole thing incorrectly the first time. Maybe they laminated it on the cold laminating setting that is only put there as like from the devil himself because we all know my thoughts on cold laminating, right? It's not a real thing. But they did all of the lamination wrong and you wasted half a package of laminating pouches, which is, yes, we should shed tears about that. And it's all messed up. But if you take the time to do some error correction like we do with our kids, and show them what they did wrong, fix the mistake, and teach them how to do it again next time. The next time you're going to have success, the time after that you're going to have success, you're going to have long-term competency. Now you're going to have a staff member that knows how to laminate materials for you. Wow, that would free up so much time if someone could laminate my things for me. Let's think about this in the student-focused way. So if you have a new activity that you want to start with your kids, yes, it would be faster for you to just do it yourself and you to start the activity and you to teach the students how to do it. But we can't do everything, right? We can do anything, but not everything. You have to delegate. It will take more time up front to show your staff member how you want it done, to provide that staff training, to go through the, you know, kind of sometimes very time-consuming process of fading our help. And maybe they did it wrong one day, but the next day they did it better. But eventually they'll be doing it correctly and you'll have that long-term competency. That's what you want. You're in it for the long haul. You want to create competent, helpful, collaborative teammates that can help you on all these tasks all year long. So be willing to pay for those short-term failures to get that long-term success in your class of a full team that's all there and ready to work and knows what to do. Number four, BHAG. So this is an acronym, B-H-A-G, and this stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goals. And if I would have started with this as number one, everyone would have turned off the podcast, been like, Sasha, I don't have time for all these big, crazy goals. Stop. But number three was delegating effectively. And if you do number three correctly, I might might have bought you a little bit of time in your day, right? You're going to not have to do everything yourself, which means you're going to free up some time for those big, hairy, audacious goals. 
I think in the world of IEP goals, we get scared to shoot big, right? We keep our IEP goals super safe because we have to accomplish them and we're scared. What if we don't meet that IEP goal? Oh my gosh. And I don't know what new kids are coming to me and what my staff's going to be like. I get it. So I'm actually not talking about big, hairy, audacious goals in terms of IEP goals, which is funny because those are both types of goals. But I want to keep these outside of the IEP for right now. So two types let's talk about. Let's have some BHAG goals for yourself as an educator, as a professional, and for your students and your class. So first, what are your BHAG goals for you? What do you want to accomplish? It's scary to think long-term because a lot of us are the type A perfectionists that if you have a goal or an idea that you want to accomplish, it's terrifying and debilitating to even think about not accomplishing that goal. Like that's how I am. I don't want to set big, huge, scary goals because what if I don't do it? Well, guess what? Nothing happens because you didn't like sign this in blood or something crazy. This is just a goal you have for yourself. So set some big, hairy, audacious goals for you as a professional. What do you want to accomplish in five years, in 10 years? Do you want to get your master's? Do you want to become a BCBA? I get a lot of questions about that. Do you want to go to one training a year? Do you want to get really great and be an expert at writing behavior plans? So set some type of goal like that professionally for you. Then set some goals like this for your students. And like I said, they don't have to be in the IEP. Write it on a piece of paper, put it in your teacher notebook, don't show anyone. It can be a super secret. No one needs to know about it except me, right? You can tell me. But set those big, hairy, audacious goals for your kids. A lot of us have students for two, three, four, five years. If you have a kid for four years, dream big. Think big about what they can accomplish in four years, Write it down. Say, hey, when Johnny leaves me in four years, I want him to be having conversations with peers. It might be crazy. Johnny doesn't have any verbal language right now, but just set that BHAG goal and see what happens. It's like that cheesy saying, like shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land amongst the stars. So even if Johnny doesn't leave you having full conversations with his peers, maybe he leaves you using three-word utterances to request what he wants and needs. Well, that's huge. So set those goals. Set goals like, hey, in, in four years, I want to take my whole class on a field trip to a bowling alley. That's one of I, that I had in my kind of early teaching years. I had all these field trip goals. Not because I wanted to go on the field trip, but because there was a lot that was involved in getting to go on a big, cool field trip like that. Like I want to take my whole class on a double-decker tour bus. That was one of my big goals. I want to take you know my whole class on a double-decker tour bus of Chicago. Well, I knew one, we'd have to get all aggression and extreme negative behaviors basically to nothing because I didn't want to risk any safety issues. And two, I had to get really freaking good at writing grants because I wasn't about to pay for the double-decker tour bus myself, but I'd have to get good at writing grants and figuring out how to get that funded. And guess what? We did eventually get to do that. And of course it rained. 
which was really annoying, but we got to do it. And it was amazing. It didn't happen in a year. It didn't happen right away, but it was a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal. So set those for your class. Even if you don't make them, that's okay. They're long-term vision statements, but will get you thinking in such a positive, you know, results-oriented frame of mind that you will know that you're in the right direction. Number five, time blocking. Things will take the amount of time that you give it. So you want to look at your to-do list and evaluate how long a lot of these tasks are going to take and then block out time in your calendar to accomplish those tasks. So it kind of is flipping gears on the way you look at your to-do list. So instead of just having this list and you have a, you know, a 45-minute prep or half an hour to work at the end of the day, just grabbing some things to get done, really scheduling those tasks and trying to complete those tasks. If you schedule a, you know, a 15-minute task within an hour, you'll spend the whole hour working on that 15-minute task because we get distracted or some of those tasks lead us into a dark Pinterest hole that we can't climb out of. So utilize this strategy to take all of those non-student things that we have to do. So grading, writing IEPs, thinking of lesson plans and activities, and utilize time blocking to put those in your schedule. And you can combine this with the eat the frog principle. So your first available block of time, get your frog done first. Get those report cards out of your way in your first prep on Monday. Don't wait till Friday afternoon at three o'clock because you want to know what you don't want to do on Friday afternoon at three o'clock? Eat the frog, right? You don't. Even if you blocked out time, go ahead and block out time for happy hour with coworkers on Friday at three o'clock. So the idea of time blocking is being specific with your windows of time and just finding a place for everything you need to get done. This is something I utilize all the time and I try to be I try to really respect the time blocking schedule that I've established because there's some tasks that just don't have a clear end. Like, you know, look up new activities for October. Well, Do we mean 15 minutes or three hours? If you're at home on a Saturday morning, you don't need to spend three hours on Pinterest looking for something. Set a timer. If you've blocked out 15 minutes or 30 minutes to do it, do it for 30 minutes and make it take that amount of time. Whether you don't completely, you know, finish the task or not, end at that time and make that this a self-care tool as well. So you can make sure to set boundaries and have time with your friends and your family or just for yourself. Number six, Schedule email time. So this one goes perfect with time blocking. So block out times to check and respond and manage your email. I know not every school or school district is really heavy into email, but some are. Some teachers and clinicians might get lots and lots of emails and it's hard to manage it. And I read somewhere that you shouldn't let your email control your time. You control your time. So if you've done the time blocking, you've done the eat the frog, you've drank the Kool-Aid, you're using all the productivity hacks and you are ready to follow what you've set out. But what do we do right before that? We check our email, right? It's out of habit. You just open your email real quick. But it's not real quick because you have an email that maybe you could respond to now or you have an email that just gets you upset or gets you thinking about, oh man, I got to do this or whatever. 
So set aside specific times to check and respond to your email or just respond to your email. Fine, check it whenever. But set aside specific times and time block that in your schedule to respond to your email. And then for the weekends, turn your work email notifications off. Don't even let it get in your head because you're cutting into your self-care time, your family time, your me time. That's not where your headspace should be. So turn those notifications off during the weekend, knowing that you have time scheduled during the week to deal with it. Number seven is bitch up. So I don't want to swear too much on the podcast. So I'm going to replace the B word with complain because it's the same thing. And we'll go from there. But I did want to get your attention with that title because this is a good one. So I got this idea from my husband. The company that he used to work at had this policy. And when I heard about it, I thought this was really applicable to the teams we work on. Because schools can sometimes breed negativity. Everyone just complains. And sometimes it's under this very thin veil of like, quote unquote, venting, which is supposed to be healthy. But it's not. If everyone leaves the day so drained and feeling way crappier than when they got there, that's not healthy. So the idea here in complain up is that you can vent, complain, do whatever you got to do to anyone that's above you, but not to your team and not to your colleagues, because you are just spreading poison. So if you had a really bad day, and you have concerns, or you need help, or you just want to let off some steam, then go to your AP, go to your principal, go to your special ed director, go to your case manager. But you're not doing all of those things, the complaining, the letting off steam, to your aides, to your speech pathologist, to your gen ed teacher you do inclusion with. Because once you let out that negativity and you complain to them, what do people do when they're complained to? They complain back, right? Sometimes it becomes a who has it worse game, which is not a game that anyone wants to win, but everyone's ready to play for some reason. So it becomes this like joint kind of like complain fest and everyone suddenly leaves the conversation feeling drained, feeling like there are no options. There's usually not a productive spin on just venting and complaining with your coworker or your team. It's just this like vent session. When you complain up and you complain to a manager, to a special ed director, to your principal, first of all, you're going to go in with a different tone of voice than you probably would to a colleague. And you're going to go in with more of a results-oriented mindset. You'll be trying to fix the problem. Hopefully, whoever you're complaining up to will be helping you fix the problem too. And the most important thing that this is going to accomplish is you're not going to be spreading that poison of negativity throughout your team and the people that you interact with on a daily basis. The next layer of this is to teach it to your team. So have this be a policy in your classroom. Complain up. Your paraprofessionals, your teaching assistants, if they want to complain or vent, they can do that to you, right? You want to know the pulse of your classroom. You want to know what's going on. So that's fine if they want to complain to you when it's just the two of you. But they can't complain and just vent to the whole team because then that might take one individual's bad day and make it your whole team's bad day. So make this the culture and environment of your class that everyone can complain, but they have to complain up. 
Number eight, sandwich your feedback. So we talked earlier about delegating. And when you delegate, part of the process of having your team help you and having your team implement different ideas and strategies and tasks for you is you're going to have to give feedback. And there will be situations where things are not done how you want or how you expected. And you're going to have to provide some feedback to that individual. So when you're in that situation, you want to sandwich your feedback. So let's think about what's a sandwich. A sandwich is a piece of bread, some meat in the middle, and another piece of bread. So in our scenario here, the meat in the middle of the sandwich is going to be that corrective feedback. So what they did incorrectly that you would like to change. And you're going to sandwich the, the negative feedback with positive feedback, with great things they're doing. So the bread is going to be letting them know something good they're doing, giving that corrective feedback in the middle, and then following it by another great thing that they're accomplishing. So a common scenario in a lot of classrooms is overprompting. And overprompting is one of those kind of little missteps that happen by some of our best staff members, right? Because they're just busy. They're trying to help. So you want to give feedback to that staff member that they maybe were providing a little bit too much prompting in an activity, but you want to do so in a way that, you know, doesn't hurt their feelings and still is providing some praise for all the great things that they're doing in your class. So be like, hey, you know, Miss Jones, like, thank you so much for getting Johnny off the bus without, you know, me asking. I was stuck in a meeting. So thanks so much for grabbing him. Um, You know, I noticed that you helped him take his coat and his backpack off. Let's really try next time to see if he'll take his coat and backpack off on his own because we really want to teach him to do that independently. Um, And thanks for getting him started on his centers because that was, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to get over there and you had all the centers prepped. So I really thank you for getting those centers prepped for me. So we're, fe- you're, we're sandwiching and kind of putting together some positive things a staff member did and that corrective statement of reducing the prompting. So that's a nice way to give feedback in a way that will probably feel comfortable to you to give and more um, the staff member will be more receptive to receiving that feedback as well. So I just reviewed eight popular business strategies and philosophies that we can augment and apply to our classrooms. So I'm not saying the business world has it all figured out. Obviously, they have their own host of problems too. But I am all about the actionable takeaway, something that I can pull from and add to my life right away. So this episode wasn't meant to overhaul your whole life or classroom or you should memorize all these ideas or do all of them. But my goal when I'm consuming content, whether I'm listening to a podcast, reading an article, or I'm in a presentation listening to it, I want the one takeaway. So from this episode, pull one thing that you think would make a big difference in your day or your classroom and try it out. And come back to this list. Come come back to this podcast episode in a few months and maybe re-listen a part of it and see if something else jumps out at you. I'm always a fan of rereading books that I really like because I pull things that are valuable at different times depending on what's going on in my life. 
So try one of these strategies and even just apply it in one part of your day and see how it goes. Because we have a lot of hats to wear as a special ed teacher. A few podcast episodes back, I talk about how we are publicists. We are managers. We're publicists. We're educators. We're counselors. We're pseudo-parents. We have a lot of roles to play. And now the hat I'm asking you to put on is CEO. You are CEO of your classroom. And like many CEOs, you're not walking into a business that's perfect. You have to set up those processes. You have to set up those systems to make your classroom an efficient and productive place. If you would have told me a few years ago that my favorite part of my job is getting up in front of sometimes a few hundred people and giving a presentation on data or behavior academics, I would have thought you were crazy. I did not always like public speaking. Actually, to be totally honest, public speaking was something I used to be pretty afraid of. But now it's literally my favorite part of my job. I love being in a room of my people, of the special ed world, teachers and parents and clinicians, and everyone that's on the front lines that's working so hard for our students to give them the best opportunities and the best classroom experience. I love being in a room of everyone that understands how hard this job can be, but also how amazing it is and how important those little victories are on a daily basis. When I do a PD, my goal is to bring value. I wanna bring action items, ideas and strategies that you can do tomorrow in your classroom. I have sat through too many professional developments that either didn't apply to me or were too hypothetical and philosophical. And my special ed heart always wanted to know, what do I do next? What do I do tomorrow? If you are interested in learning more about how I can come to your school to do a professional development, please visit theautismhelper.com backslash speaking. There's a contact form as well as a lot of information about all of the different sessions I give. I'm happy to answer any questions and work with your school district. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.